Welcome everyone to this episode of The Authentic Leader and we're going to jump in right into the topic about why should we be interested in good governance, what does it bring to the company, how is it tied to culture and how can we make it interesting for you in the sense that at the end we want to make a case and say yes it's something which is worth it and it is more than just taking a test to make sure that we obey certain principles. For that I'm going to welcome Michael Ola, my guest today. So he's a certified Master Black Belt Six Sigma and he's a consultant. And most above all, what I really appreciate is that he has this openness and curiosity to continue to listen and really just with open eyes integrate an organization's culture and see how certain elements can be improved with a lot of, again, openness, and there is never any judgment. So without further ado, welcome, Michael, to this part on governments, which fosters a good culture. Well, thank you a lot, Laurence, for this nice opening. Thank you for that. And so to make sure that we cover, because there's so much to cover, obviously, we will never be able to cover the entire topic, yet we want to make sure that we will cover why is it important. We'll also share real stories of um, what Michael lived and also how you can make a good case about governments, what it will really bring into your life. So let's start with honestly. Why do you even want to hear about governance? If I ask that to you, Michael, what, am I, what are you going to answer? Why I want to hear about governance, yeah? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, well, when I hear people discuss about governance, very often what I hear is it's about compliance. It is some procedures we need to go through. It's some documents we need to sign to confirm we have read them, that we are willing to comply with them, that we respect the ethical guidelines of our company, and so on and so forth. And I think all this is very important and valuable. I just think it falls short of the true potential of what we have in our hands when we talk about governance. And I think that is the aspect where we can explore this other side as well, right? Because it is indeed very important. But it is that other side that I'm really fascinated about and that probably most people would relate to more easily in their day-to-day -day life and business. Can you tell me a bit more about that other side? <laughs> well, that other side sounds a bit strange when I say the other side. Like, but it's very intriguing. So I'm saying, tell me a bit more. Um, so that other side, if we stay with that term for, for, for today, is about every day. Because it is the side of governance, or it is an interpretation of the word governance, where we mean something that helps us nurture, sometimes even build, and certainly always protect our culture, our company culture, our team culture. So everything that we need around us to feel at home in the organization with the people where we work, 
where we spend a lot of our times. And that is what I really like and what I think is fascinating about, well, governance. It is what is that thing that helps us nurture, build and protect the culture that we so much care about? Yes, indeed. So nurture, build and protect. If you were to share in three to four points what governance really entails when we talk about this aspect of nurture, build and protect, what would you answer? Yes, a preparation for today, Laurence, I have gone online and I've checked what they write, not because that is what we want to discuss about, but I think it is what we need to be aware of, and that is where most people start from. So when you read, they write, and rightly so, about um, procedures, about policies, and about practices. And these uh, procedures, policies, practices are meant to protect the ethical conduct of the company, are meant to assure effectiveness of what we do and efficiency. And all that is good. Now, last time we discussed a model of culture, and uh, that model has three layers. It is the artifacts, it's the behaviors, and it's our worldviews. And if we look at policies, procedures, practices, well, that falls in the middle layer. And um, that is indeed very important, but in terms of culture, there's also the obvious part. It's all the artifacts. And true enough, we have written documents about our um, policies. We have written documents about certain practices, uh, process descriptions, and so on. All these are artifacts. And why do we have them? Uh, well, these are our worldviews. Now, when I want to talk about the governance, it's about all three layers. It's the entire culture, and we want to nurture, build, and protect all three of them, and not just focus on policies, practices, and so on, yeah? Yes, and what I've observed, so I've observed great governance, integrating the cultural part, which is essential, right? Because by basically governance is the foundation for a good company culture. Yet sometimes I've also observed that the pure rigidity of what we should do or not, for example, in the winter, make sure we don't uh, walk under the roof. So here, actually, uh, in certain countries, you wouldn't have the snow or ice fall on you or tests which were... Um, requiring or asking us uh, things we wouldn't do. So I think this puts also a bad name on what good governance is when it's pushed to an extreme in just certain rules, which also do not necessarily apply to the country the organization is on when we talk about an international organization. So how can we make the rules so that indeed there is a good governance without going into the extreme? Can you I'm sure you've uh, explored that too. And I think many people see just the extreme side of applying rules or getting tested and not the constructive side. Mm. 
And I think we first need to appreciate and understand that because, well, what you describe is reactive. Something happens and then I implement the right governance. I have Enron uh, happening and I implement Sarbanes-Oxley. And then I have everyone sign for it. And that's fine, right? Um, why should we upfront imagine all kinds of strange cases, misconduct and so on, and build guard bands and rules and so on? So first of all, it's fine that this is reactive. Um, at the same time, it's a bit like, well, let me, let me make an analogy here. So if culture is our health, our physical health, then governance would be the fitness program. And it could all start with a new year's resolution, but then it keeps going and it goes on and it goes on. It, it doesn't stop, right? If you really want to stay fit, it's not over after the summer season, but just because, well, the summer season is over. Uh, if you truly want to stay, well, in a healthy condition, you would care about your physical fitness, or go for a walk or once in a while, or do whatever else. So if that is the analogy, we would say, well, what are our objectives here? We want to stay healthy. What is our objective in our organization? Maybe we are a little startup. We are 20 people. And we function in certain ways that work well for us. But now we grow and we become 100 people and maybe then 1,000 people. And we'd like to understand what is the essence that makes us tick together here. And probably it doesn't work in the same way. We need to formalize certain aspects so that we maintain and, and nurture the culture that we so much care about. And there's certainly always a balance that we need to strike between being proactive, so anticipating where things are going. Um, so we need to anticipate certain trends inside our organization, maybe also outside our organization, and then build this yeah, protective uh, skeleton or however you want to call it around us that helps us stay stable, stay healthy in changing conditions. Thank you. I like the fitness program analogy. And indeed, it's more than either, you know, you, you go beyond the summer. And do you think, from what you've observed, not you think, what you've observed up till now, do you think the companies would view, when hiring a consultant for governance, would view this as a reactive and protective measure? Or do you see a trend where organizations now see the benefit of this healthy regimen and getting fit, not just for a certain period of time, but longer? So is it proactive, reactive? How is governance nowadays? I think it's hard to say in general, what I see is many of the multinational organizations have learned good practices from other countries, have exchanged with other countries, uh, have seen 
these things in some bigger organizations in the U.S. have learned certain things about lean management from Japan or from other multinational organizations. Probably many of our medium-sized companies, well, have built up their business bottom-up and um, they have created their very own governance. We don't need that written for governance to work. Yeah? Even in a circle of friends, we have certain rules that help us protect, well, the way how we like to hang out together. Um, certainly, when you implement, I was with that fitness program, yeah? When you implement a lean program, when you implement a Six Sigma program or Agile or whatever else, it comes along with, well, what people really call a governance. They say, well, we need some kind of governance in place, so we select the right improvement programs that we uh, skill up people, that we make sure they have the time to work on these projects, and so on and so forth. So when you implement such a program, you would certainly implement together with it the governance that goes along with it. And you would do that in a very conscious way. People would talk about the governance. But you do not need to use the term governance to implement it. As I said, yeah, a circle of friends has their own governance system that helps them function in the way they would like to function. Yes, true. And probably, from what I've observed, the resistance on governance comes from certain bad experiences, yet once you implement it properly, as you were saying, this resistance should also diminish, and then you get a good company culture, which is the ultimate goal. Yeah, it's very interesting what you observe here. And maybe we start exploring that aspect, not looking just at companies. You move to another country. You are exposed to another type of governance. Um, maybe if you move to Bavaria and you go to a wedding or you go to the, to the Oktoberfest, you would probably be invited to wear the traditional dresses. And if you said, well, I'm the new kid on the block here, and you do not wear this dress, it means you didn't buy it. It means you didn't invest enough yet into being part of that culture. So um, there are these aspects where the new society, your new environment would signal to you um, what they like and how you can make uh, a commitment to say you are now part of them. And that would be in terms of behaviors. It would be in terms of artifacts like I wear, I bought this suit. It's not cheap. It's expensive, this traditional Bavarian suit. And I did so because I plan staying here. And it's about the worldviews. So... Um, yeah, I can see that certain people, rightly or wrongly, we don't, we are not judging about that, resist that. Yeah, they don't want to uh, have a difficulty adapting to this new type of culture so fast. 
in a way, in a company that is committed to some kind of goal, to some standards, to maybe also an ethical framework, you want to figure out quickly who is part of the in-crowd and who is not. So with that governance, you want to make pretty clear to others whether they can be part of that or whether this is not really their place. Sometimes it can be too strict, too strong, yeah, that we disregard valuable aspects of diversity because we say our governance here welcomes people with a certain worldview, with a certain mindset, with certain convictions. So there is this fine line to get right, certainly. True, true. And uh, this is also when um, indeed some flexibility to, as you were saying, accept diversity. And I, I've seen it, I've seen beautiful cases where people would just open and ask questions. How is it done? And also respect uh, the other side. So you can have it in a very uh, fluid moment and movement that exists too, provided there is this healthy uh, work culture base, I would say. And do you have an example of a place, because I, I find nothing is, is uh, working so well as an example, where you were able to turn something around, which might have been iffy, and it's not to be in a hero position, but just to help our audience relate to a case where maybe an organization was either too rigid or wanted to implement it, and the positive and constructive effect of a healthy governance and work culture at the end. Hmm. So you ask for something that I have lived myself. And I'd like to give you an, uh, an answer, but allow me to use another example before to make a real case. Um, you may have heard of Shackleton, an English explorer who went to uh, the South Pole with the firm intention to hibernate together with his ship and his crew in the ice and just see what happens. And there's a famous picture or two that shows how the ice crashes the ship. So everyone needs to leave the ship, go to the next island, and they stay there over the winter. You certainly need a very good governance system uh, in place to make sure everyone survives because the stress level is high, because uh, people were probably not prepared to leave the ship behind and, and live on the beach. And he must have implemented pretty strict rules of conduct so that everyone can survive together. At the end of the winter, by the way, he plus, I think, two people took a tiny boat, so it was not planned. That part of the trip was not planned. Staying in the ice, yes, but having the ship crushed was not planned. Uh, took a tiny boat and made, made it to New South Georgia or something like that, got help, and everyone was saved. So that is certainly an example where you see how leadership goes together with governance. And uh, 
um, a great leader who is capable of guiding people through completely unknown waters or situations, well, may do that also with his or her charisma, but there's certainly a lot of governance of, well, <laughs> procedures, policies, and so on that, that they put in place to make sure it works. So I think if we look for inspiration, we could go and, well, read about those people who have guided others through the unknown waters and what they did, what they put in place, what rules of conduct, what governance system they put in place to make that a successful experience for everyone. Now, my example. Mm. That is in corporate. I have been in quality management before and um, was known by some people to be the quality Taliban. This was in the mid-2000s, and the Taliban were well, well known and not appreciated like today. Um, Can I ask what you, what you did to deserve that title? Because it seems that there was some resentment behind the title and what you've done. And hearing you now and knowing you, I'm just a bit surprised because you are very open and you're a great listener. Well, when you are in quality management, um, you need to make certain compromises. You need to be helpful, but you also need to have a firm position because internally you are the advocate of the customer, so to say. Externally, you are the speaker in many instances of the organization. So sometimes you're just in the middle of the two and nobody is your friend and in a certain way, you are also nobody's friend. When that was in a semiconductor company at a high pace where things need to move really fast. If you are a project manager, you know exactly how many millions you might lose in a week in terms of revenue uh, if, if just you delay the project by a couple of days. So there's a lot of pressure. And if you say, guys, sorry, but we can't assure at this moment the uh, reliability of the product because it fails a critical test. We don't know what happens if we ship this out to the market like it is. Well, yeah, well, they will not run this test. True, they will not run this test, but they will put the product in real life uh, conditions and our test is an accelerated life test. So after two or three years, we might get back, I'm not saying we will, but we might get back a lot of failures and then it's really too late to fix this. You see the delicate situation and the difficult um, way sometimes to defend that. What helped me in that instance were mathematical models, um, reliability models where I could say, well, if 
you buy into that model, if you buy into our data, here is our prediction, and we are not yet where we need to be, at least if you believe the model. So I wasn't speaking on my own behalf, in my own authority. I was trying to speak with the authority of models in absence of anything else that we had. So this is where I came from, and um, the controlling department had just um, lost someone to a role of cost reduction. And that person had left behind, um, well, a burnt field, if you like, had gone too far, has burnt the bridges, um, was working with the screw, so to say, um, to squeeze the last bits, not out of production cost, but out of the people working on production cost. So um, nobody thought stepping into his position would be a smart move, uh, but the controlling department thought, well, Maybe quality, quality Taliban is not what we need, but what about a cost Taliban? <laughs> but I had learned my lesson. And, well, not that I think I did a lot wrong. I had just learned where I needed to focus on, and that is you need to sit together with people. You need to sit down with them and see if you can help them solve their problems. And in that particular situation, the real trick resided in um, getting the people together who sit in the finance departments, who look into the P&L with all the line items, and then get them together with the people sitting in the engineering departments who say, I need this thickness of gold plate on my uh, gold contact fingers and so on and i need this particular solder paste to sold some uh, solder something and so on and so forth and then to figure out well where are the big cost buckets and what is feasible and how can we attack this cost position here and that cost position. And sometimes it's not what you purchase. Sometimes it's also what you throw away. So all the waste and so on. So this working together and looking from different sides on the same problem um, was possible because what emerged over time was a pretty unique, I think, um, governance system where we had, now I come back to those uh, three Ps, certain policies in place that, for example, we use the Pareto's principle. Um, we look at where the big cost positions are and then we study what influences them. And then we have certain practices and that is we sit together and we figure this out. Uh, we had monthly... Um, reviews well nothing special we have just used the what companies do but we have done the same um, as a joint meeting that didn't exist before between the finance departments and um, uh, the controlling excuse me the controlling departments and uh, the engineering departments so what 
has emerged over time, you would recognize that as a pretty unique culture that has emerged and these people wanted to work in that way because they realized, I can help this finance person and this finance person can help me and vice versa also the finance people understood that they are not the kings of and queens of Excel charts, but that behind those line items, there's the hard work of people in production, in the engineering departments, and so on. I think what I, what you really explained and basically put together is that sometimes we think work culture could look or sound very wishy-washy and just uh, sound good feeling. And often, actually, if you really look at it, you get both. You get a healthy work culture and you get better ROI. So it's not either or, it actually goes hand in hand. We would wish that. And if now somebody says, yeah, 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 that is wishful thinking, it sounds so nice. I am deeply convinced that is right. Mm. Because people, when they come to work, they want to do something meaningful with their time. And if you bump into people who say, yeah, well, you know, they are just coming here to get uh, their salary and then they are heading back home. If one day you have the privilege to be invited at these people's uh, places, you see that they have a wonderful garden that they maintain and or care about whatever else, about the local uh, football club and the young people there, whatever. So, yes, people want to do something meaningful with their time. And if we do it right, they can even do that at work. I agree. And if you were, I 100% agree, if you were to summarize in 120 seconds, I'm not going to time you yet, the principle, <laughs> how good governance fosters a good work culture for someone who's just hopping in at the end or zooming through it, how does good governance fosters? Because we believe that, but how could you summarize that? Hmm. Well, the first principle here probably is it's about alignment if i think or if i set things up so that i need to fight against human nature because so to say by nature humans are lazy and i need to chase them otherwise it doesn't happen i am doing something wrong because i will get friction i will get losses in between so i need to find a system, a governance system that creates alignment between what my people wish, what my people are passionate about and what we do here as a company. And when I have figured that out, probably not alone, probably together with people, when I have figured that out, how that looks like. And it doesn't need to be we save planet Earth, right? It can 
be something down to earth, but people say, yes, that is my swim lane here during my work life. And I see a lot of meaning in it. And I see why I want to go to work and meet all these other people and work together with them. So you want to look at alignment. You want to spot misalignment, friction, and you want to have a governance system in place that constantly radar screens all kinds of misalignments and put things back, back in place. I'm not saying misalignment will never happen, but what I'm saying is when you spot it, your governance system should be capable of identifying it and dealing with it so that you maximize the flow in your organization and create alignment on, well, what everyone cares about. Thank you. And one element which I've observed quite a bit, and it's most of human nature, when there is misalignment, there's often, um, I've observed sometimes an SOP which came too fast when actually it was a one-off and it could have been sorted in a more mellow way. Um, what is a healthy system for a company to stay aligned yet without going over the top and actually losing the focus, which is good governance fosters good company culture and results? How, how can you be aligned without derailing into too many additional rules? Hmm. Companies put in place governance systems like that. Now, maybe here I am a bit biased, if you like, because implementing such systems is the stuff that I do for a living. Mm. You see sometimes tens or hundreds KPIs uh, that organizations track. And um, I think some months ago on LinkedIn, I saw uh, a post where somebody said, here's a system where I can track 900 or so KPIs. And I thought, hmm, well, why do you need, why do you even want to track 900 KPIs? So you want to keep focus. Before I was saying alignment, you want to keep focus on things. What really matters? True, uh, we want to keep oxygen flowing through our um, offices and probably nobody has implemented uh, a KPI about the oxygen level in, in the offices, yet it is very important. So there are certain things that we need to get off our watch list because they are in place. We don't need to care about them anymore. If you need to watch out for safety, if you need to track that every month, if that is one of your key KPIs, probably what you should do is get this off so that it's like the oxygen in the offices. It's guaranteed. There's a system in place that takes care of that. You don't need to watch it every day. And when you have that in place, when you have... Um, well, established a certain base camp, as we call it. 
so that now you can really climb for the high summits. You wouldn't climb for 15 or 900 summits at a time. You would choose one. And you would then ask yourself, well, what does it take to bring us, to bring our organization up to that summit? And then you would start from that goal and break it down and really ask yourself, well, what are the initiatives that I really want? Um, do I have the people on board for those? Do I have the resources? Do I always rely on the same resources? So that is probably the type of governance systems that you want in place that, well, we were talking before about the alignment, but that also help you keep focus on the stuff that is truly getting you and the organization ahead. Thank you. And last question. Do you think or have you observed that once you put the system in place and train the people internally, you need once in a while to do a small check and come back in so that it doesn't go over the top? Because again, it's, it, governance is good, but if you go over the top, you just jam a system, 900 items you cannot track anymore. So how do you keep this system alive and at a reasonable level? Very important question. And honestly, I've not looked at it like you do just now, but I think there's a very clear answer to that. When you need to come from the top and do things for other people, when you need to interfere, you still need to continue working on your governance system. Because when people have truly embraced it, when it is in place, they will take care of it themselves. Mm. Take elements in, well, the lean management systems. Um, if you have implemented rituals such as, um, so practices, yeah, in that regard, um, practices such as a daily stand-up, the shift starts, they meet, they go through a protocol that is always exactly the same, and they know exactly when they do what and how to use that. Imagine now a new team leader comes in and says, well, we don't do that. We lose these 15 minutes. People will say very clearly that they want to continue using that. If they are using visual management and somebody changes that without their consent, they will tell that this is not okay. So mm, good governance systems are self-centering. If you need to watch over it and implement it from above, um, there's still work to be done. Yeah, so that is probably the moment when you realize now I can change my role from building it to rather nurturing it. So what do I need to give to those people? What do they need so this governance, the culture, the culture and the governance around it that protects it, that it can continue to grow and evolve? Yes, excellent. So to 
wrap up everything. So if you want a good governance, definitely this will help you foster a good culture. And I loved uh, Michael's analogy. It's a bit like when you decide to become fit. This is not because in three months it's the summer. This is year after year after year. And this is how you can really reap the benefits. And I also really appreciated the underlining that actually good governance is self-centered and therefore healthy. So we're not going into what we sometimes hear the extreme tracking. We are staying on a level where everyone in the organization feels comfortable and will also even defend this governance if someone decides to skip some aspects. Is there one final element you would like to share? Yeah, well, maybe that one, that just a reminder of what we said in the beginning, that what most people have in mind when they talk about governance is a formal system. And it's okay if after some time you put some formality around things. That's okay, yeah? Especially when you grow from a little startup and become a big company. But we should also appreciate the informal governance. Every assembly of people has some kind of governance system. And if we watch out for that in our families, among our friends, maybe in our neighborhood and so on, in our sports club, we can learn a lot. We get open eyes and we appreciate much better and maybe then also become a bit more pro proactive when we should work on the governance system. Well, thank you very much, Michael. And there will be in the show notes a summary. So if anyone wants to know more, there will be a summary of what we've discussed, plus also Michael's coordinates on LinkedIn. Thank you again very much and see you in the next episode. And thank you, Laurence.